was a couple beers in, and I thought it'd be a good idea to uh, move the giant bookshelf from one room to another. So I uh, I go to do it, not even thinking that when I go to turn, all those shelves are gonna fall. Now I'm trying to be quiet and. Lo and behold, man, I turned that corner and just crash, crash. They all just fell off, and it was just such a concoction of noise just being obliterated in such a quiet house, let me tell you. Oh, my gosh, it was wild, man. But uh, I got that moved in the other room, so it's, it's perfect. Like, it's all set up more space for more books, more literature to be read. Uh, this episode number 97 of the Cozy Corner of Cinema is being recorded on Friday, February 2nd, 2024 at 10.03 a.m., and my desk is just a complete mess right now. If you guys could see this, you would see just the assortment of notes, random objects. I got tons of notebooks here, tons of writings, um, notes for projects. Uh, I don't even, actually, I think I don't need this one, so put that away. Uh, yeah, it's wild as hell, man. Got my coffee here. Uh, hot coffee, cold water. It's just, uh, it's just fantastic. I don't mix them both. Remember, when you wake up in the morning, before you get your coffee, man, your tea or any, anything like that, make sure you're drinking your water because you're going to be walking around like a goon, you know, feeling like, I don't know why I don't have any energy. It's like, brother, you probably didn't eat or drink anything proper, you know. And when I say eat or drink, I don't mean, oh, I had an energy drink and I'm good to go. It's like, you're going to have a hard crash, man. You have nothing to eat, nothing to drink. You drink one of those. And, oh, my gosh, man, I tell you, you'll get such a crash. It'll be like somebody just knocked you on your head, man, and we see him double. But, yeah, here we go, man. One month down, plenty to go. Perfect opportunity to be focusing on your goals and on your dreams, man. You got to make them come true because ain't no one else going to do that for you. So we got one month down. Now you can reflect on whether or not you accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. And if you did, that's great. You keep on moving forward. And if not, then perfect time to start, man. It's your life. It's a beautiful life. It's such a gift to wake up every day and get to experience just the beautiful Beautiful world around us. Get to experience literature and music and arts and and film and and just everything, man. It's paintings and it's just you go to like a you know you go to a museum or you go to like a bookstore or you go uh, you know to the cinema and you just totally revel in just life's beauty. It's something that's truly beyond words. Experiences you must be uh, experiencing for yourself to really embrace just the beauty in life, man. It's so. We're so fortunate to be here, so we really don't want to waste the time that we have, you know, uh, in doing whatever it is that we don't want to be doing, you know, socializing with people whom we don't want to be associating with, or, you know, saying, oh, one day I'm going to do this, one day I'm going to do that, and then you find out that, oh, I don't have any days left, this is my last day, you know, it's going to be a real pain to find that out, you know, um, it's like, it's one of the most of the time where you still got it, man, it's such a beautiful thing, uh, a beautiful life to live, man, and it's just so great being here, we have a sip of this beverage right here. Like I always say, when you're listening to the radio, you don't want to have too much silence, man. You're going to be flipping the channels. and like, what the hell? Ain't, ain't nobody recording? I'm getting out of here. Oh, I lost a listener. Damn, man. I just had a quick drink really quick. But I guess usually they have co-hosts and stuff, but that's all right. This is a one-man show ready to go. Uh, what the hell? Today is Groundhog Day, I think. Yeah, I got my calendar, actually. I got to change my calendar. Yeah, today is Groundhog Day, man. Actually, it's a... Uh, uh, coincidence enough, because I just finished listening to the audiobook that I had started listening to previously, and then Spotify said I didn't have any more hours to listen to, so that was a real bummer, so I had to come back and uh, check that out, but the book was one that I had mentioned before, it was Wild and Crazy Guys, How the Comedy Mavericks of the 80s Changed Hollywood Forever, written by uh, Nick D. Semelian, who also wrote the other, um, Last Action Heroes book, 
that I was mentioning before that I listened to as well. A really excellent uh, uh, book to listen to. And this one as well. Fantastic, uh, really engaging uh, saga into the lives of these stars, these comedy stars of the 70s and 80s. This certain group mostly came out of SNL, but uh, some of very true, like John Candy, came out of like SCTV and... Uh, uh, Rick Moranis and stuff, and and it just uh, you know like the Last Action Heroes book, it goes uh, it kind of jumps around a little bit between person to person, talks about you know uh, the successes, the failures they're going through, you know budding egos uh, like Chevy Chase and Eddie Murphy just having really wild egos and being kind of uh, difficult to work with, and then you got guys like John Candy who are just really just just total like you know. Just total warm teddy bears, man. They're just they're just great guys, and uh, you know Dan Aykroyd is uh, you know he has all these really crazy ideas for movies, and then he's got to like kind of hone it in, and and it's just, it's just great, man. It's a, it's a wonderful kind of portrait into the lives and era of these people. It only goes up to like the early '90s, I believe. I think it goes up to like from what I can remember. Kind of ends around Nothing But Trouble, the Dan Aykroyd-directed film with uh, John Candy, uh, Chevy Chase, Demi Moore, and uh, Dan Aykroyd as well, uh, uh, starring, playing multiple roles. I've never seen that film. And uh, because it's great, because a lot of these uh, films in this book, uh, I'm not as familiar with a lot of the 80s comedies. And when I say I'm not as familiar, I haven't seen them, not that I've never heard of them, because they're very populist films, they're all Hollywood films, you know, they're pushed onto the public. But, like, a lot of the big ones, they were being listed, like... um, like nothing but trouble, um, like Fletch, like um, now I'm trying to think actually because now some of them I have seen. Think I'm thinking about um, like uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Like a lot of these I haven't seen. You know, it's never um, '80s comedies aren't. Uh, oops, sorry, aren't uh, my go-to. Not that I have anything against them or anything like that. They're just not the ones. If I'm gonna watch a film. It's not the one I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to immediately first. So that goes for a lot of '80s films in general. I'm not really a big '80s kind of uh, comedy horror guy, and that's ridiculous to say that I don't like any of them because that's just. Of course, I would never say that. I'm saying that's not my go-to decade to jump to. Um, but even still, you know, a lot of these films are gonna be watched for purely um, contextual sake. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna be watching these to you know. <laughs> to get some sort of a petty amusement out of it. It's, it's just that's just nonsense. Um, I got I got so many other films to watch. I have so much to do. It's just it's wild. Why would I want to sit back and just watch them? Like nothing that's going to be added to my life. You know, it's just ridiculous. But uh, but these films will be added, and, and definitely in terms of just the context. Um, and I mean, I haven't seen many of these. I've seen uh, you know Ghostbusters and, and Beverly Hills Cop and uh, The Great Outdoors and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Just just wonderful films, of course. Um, but uh, no, but these will definitely be watched at some point along the way. Um, as you're speaking of books, currently halfway through, uh, My Last Sigh, the autobiography of Louis Boonwell, which is a wonderful book, actually, which you got over here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and grab it, the only part of the room right here, gotta get it out of the bag here, there we go, look at that, beautiful, I actually got a physical book in my hand, I gotta actually talk about it, I'm looking at my damn telephone. But it's great. This was a copyright. Well, this is a this is a re-release. So the copyright on this is I think 86, 83. I apologize. And it's a great book because it's not a biography, but it's a lot less linear than I thought it would be. In so that it's not like so. I mean, I'm almost done with the book. Actually, I got a. Let's see, or maybe I'm uh, I'm on one page one fifty six. So I don't know how many pages there are. Uh, I'm not gonna look. Doesn't matter. Um, 
but I like how a lot of the book really kind of talks about his uh, his times with his, uh, you know, after he makes him chain uh, and Andalou. I never know how to say that. So I apologize if I said that incorrectly, but talks about um, the kind of political tension at the time with uh, him not exactly lining up with the ideals of the uh, surrealist movement that was going on. A lot of the people who were who there's like a great section where the group gets mad at him because he um, allowed uh he allowed a uh, publication that they didn't like to uh, kind of work with him, so they, they wanted him to go back and, and uh, you know, retract it, but it was too late. And feeling kind of caught between, uh, I mean, between this uh, this society of people who like him, but also his own kind of uh, ideologies and his own kind of uh, films that he wants to make, you know, even though they are very, um, they're very, uh, sorry guys, it's early in the morning, so I may be a little foggy to get some more coffee right here. They are supportive of his films, um, like The Age Door, which I haven't watched yet. But uh, there was one one section I wanted to actually read for you. If I got, I gotta go back a little bit because it was it's in reference to the 1968 uh, student uh, protests in France that I think Bunuel has the strongest uh, writing about. Because I I, re- I read about um, sorry I'm trying to uh, yeah here we go okay there, yeah this is the section I wanted to read. Because I'd recently read uh, biographies on Truffaut and Godard, and uh, their uh, Truffaut is and Godard are, are very different personalities, and uh, that would ultimately lead into a fracture uh, 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 of their friendship. <clears throat> Godard being upset with uh, Truffaut that he he politically he didn't totally align with him, and also the films he was making were not what Godard had in mind. I mean, Godard is a genius, uh, but that book that I read about him, he could be very uh, cold, and he could be very, be, be, uh, uh, turn his back on a lot of friends, and how he kind of persuaded uh, uh, Jean-Pierre Lyoud from uh, Truffaut's uh, work over to Godard's, because they, uh, politically they aligned more. Like I'm thinking, I recently watched uh, Le Chinois, and uh, Lyoud's in that film as well, which is also a very good film as well. That's um, a really interesting uh, com. Uh, <coughs> satire about these students being held up and uh well, anyways i wanted to read this one point i thought boonwell's a really great take on i don't know if i'm gonna read the whole thing or not because and because godard felt very strongly about that he was he was uh that, that's why i bring that up in, in context but here he says uh, at this point our work on the film had ground to a halt, and I found myself alone in Paris, like a curious but uneasy tourist. I didn't know what to do with myself. Tear gas made my eyes sting when I crossed the Boulevard Saint-Michel. There were many things I just didn't understand, like why the demonstrators were shouting, Mao, Mao, as if they were really demanding that France adopt a Maoist regime. Normally reasonable people lost their heads, and even Louis Mao, a very dear friend, became the leader of some action group. He spent his time organizing his troops for the final assault and even ordering my son, Juan Louis, to shoot the minute the cops turned the corner. Had he obeyed, he would have been the only victim of the guillotine during the revolution. The city was filled with serious debate as well as complete confusion. Everyone was seeking his own revolution with only a small lantern for a guide. I told myself that if this had been happening in Mexico, it wouldn't have lasted more than two hours and there would surely have been a few hundred casualties to boot, which is exactly what happened, of course, in October at the Plaza de la Tres Culturas. And yet in Paris, a week later, everything was back to normal, and the great, miraculously bloodless celebration was over. So, yeah, that's great, man. That's fantastic. Great stuff so far, though. Definitely enjoying this. Louis Bunuel is a filmmaker who I've uh, only grown appreciation for more and more over time. Uh, the first thing I saw of his, uh, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, I remember not uh, totally warming up to. 
and in subsequent films getting an idea for his feel and, and some of his uh, a lot of his underlying comedy and a lot, and uh, especially reading this getting some context to a lot of uh, his films um, because this isn't going through his films this is talking about just his life at this point uh, while referencing events that would eventually make their way into the, his films like some dream sequences or he talks about um, like uh, you know the 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 fallout of the main actress in, uh, was it The Phantom of Liberty? I get The Phantom of Liberty and that obscure object of desire mixed up all the time. I get that, I, I, I'm talking about one when I mean the other. So I, whichever one had the actress had to get replaced. We talked about that, but it's a wonderful book so far. Wonderful book. And, um, even if you're not a Louis Bunuel guy, I think this is just purely for, um, historical sake, just some of his observations about his life. There's a lot of comedy in the book, too. There's a lot of great time parts in the book where he talks about going to MGM after <clears throat> an executive saw the age door, and he wanted him to go to uh, Hollywood to observe uh, film sets and, and learn about directing and all that, and then on like, the first day, Greta Garbo threw him off the set, and he just didn't go to the MGM anymore. He still got paid for it, so great anecdotes like that. Wonderful book. I mean, it's a breeze to read. I, I started it last week. I'm almost done with the thing. So, you know, it's just, it's just great stuff. But, yeah, sorry. I'm trying to keep my throat uh, not dry. It's like I'm trying not to polish too much, but I also got to keep it, keep the the, uh, the engine running, so to speak. Uh, so, let me get another sip of this here. Always good to keep a notebook nearby. <clears throat> Whatever notes you got to take, ideas throughout the day. I always keep a notebook on me. For uh, my writing, for notes I want to take, or uh, or anything like that, it's great. Even last night, I was in, I was in the middle of watching another film, and an idea because uh, one of the writings I'm working on now, which is a bigger project, and I thought of one line, and I, I paused the film, I took the notebook, and I quickly wrote down this line, and I was like, that's perfect. So that's gonna be utilized into uh, the writing next. Uh, when the time has come for that, good God, nothing's going right this episode. Everything's falling apart. I'm losing my mind here, man. Because I always keep notes for the show, too, you know? Keep myself in order so I'm not coming on here being like, Hey, what am I going to talk about? I don't know. You know, I'll figure it out. I did that a couple times. And uh, those aren't uh, those aren't the strongest kind of episodes to listen to because it's sort of like, if you're, if you're giving me your time, you got to get something out of it, man. And not just, oh, you know, what's up? Ah, nothing. You know, it's like you talk to somebody and, and it's like all they do is just, you just don't have, <clears throat> you don't have any kind of proper conversation with, with them. There's nothing to get out of it. It's just ridiculous small talk of just like, oh, what did you, what did you do today? Oh, nothing. I, I went to the store. And I, I bought eggs. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Bye. All right, man. That's a hell of a conversation right there. What am I going to advance my life with, knowing that Joe Schmo got eggs? That's great, man. You know, that's just something else. I got no problem with small talk. You know, well, up to a certain point, it's like, brother, I, people are not. Some people are nothing but small talk. You know, it's like. There's nothing to get out of it, you know. I've known people for years and years and years, and ultimately realized I never had a meaningful conversation with them. It's like, brother, what am I getting out of this? Oh, the cats are running around. What are you guys doing? The cats are running around the house here. That's wild. It's crazy as hell, man. Yeah, keep a notebook nearby, man, I tell you. All right, we're going to talk about... Pull up the IMD page right here. We're going to talk about a film from 1964. Let's see, I got my notes right here. Great, I watched this film a couple weeks ago, and I have my notes for it, so I'll be able to be prepared and talk about it. Uh, from director uh, Jan Nemec, Diamonds of the Night, 1964. I recorded this off TCM, unfamiliar with the film. 
a lot of oddities, odds and ends like that, I uh, will go forth in recording, and it was great, it's only 67 minutes, so I was like, that's perfect, I can watch this late at night, I can get some time to get some writing done, and then go to bed at a reasonable hour, because you want to plan out uh, accordingly, you know, fix like, alright, I got an hour before I go to bed, you ain't going to be starting a, a, a two and a half hour film, man, because that's not going to happen. I mean, you could pause it and come back to it, but I mean, I'm of the mindset of even if you start a film, the idea is to end the end the film in you know that that allotted time. And of course, there are exceptions. There are some films that I've had no choice but to break them up uh, simply due to their runtime or simply because of uh, you know being uh, pulled from the screen or falling asleep, whatever it might be, man. But it's ideal to sit down and watch the damn movie. So here we are, Diamonds of the Night. It's a non-linear experimental film. Following these two kids, whose names I'm going to try to pronounce, Ladislav Jansky and Antoinette Kambera, takes place in uh, Nazi, uh, I think it was Nazi Germany, but I don't remember if they specified or not. Again, it's been a couple weeks since I've watched this film. But they're escaping through the woods. And immediately I'm watching this film, and the way this film is shot reminds me a lot of the film Coach of Vienna that I talked about a little while ago, uh, released by Second Run Films, and uh, which is a, uh, I think was a Czechoslovakian film um, about this uh, woman who is uh, leading this uh, Nazi officer through the woods. It's a, it's a great film, a uh, really terrific film. But a lot of the way this was shot uh, with the contrasting of the trees uh, as, as something of like, you know, going into the darkness, going into this claustrophobic kind of area, reminded me a lot of how that film was shot. And this film was the cinematography by Yaroslav Kucera, and who also shot, uh, some other, also was a cinematographer on Daisies, uh, from 1966, as well as, um, a lot of these films I'm not familiar with. Oh, Fruit of Paradise. And, well, he's done a lot. Uh, Adele has not had supper yet. Uh, have I seen that film? I don't know if I have or not. Uh, I may have. I don't... Maybe not, actually. I don't know. doesn't matter. We're not talking about that film. We're talking about this film. And it's a wonderfully shot film. Uh, going into this uh, dark landscape where it's like the woods are just a life of their own, man. It's going into, like... You know, in general, you go into any kind of woodsy area. The sun is having a harder time breaking through the trees. Especially shot in gorgeous black and white here. It's this impending force that it's sort of like, there is no escape. You're either out in the light and the Nazis are going to come after you. Or you're in these woods just surrounded by darkness. It's a haunting sight. And the film is somewhat non-linear in the fact that we are following them going through this journey. But at the same time, it does cut back to a lot of points in the film that may or may not be in order. Of how they got to where they are, them getting captured, uh, you know, later on in the film... Uh, reflecting back on earlier sequences of the film that at one point in the middle, it's like, wait, is this where the film started out or what's going on here? But it ends up just being another part of the story itself. But it's a wonderfully shot film, man. It's, it's a film where it's sort of like, uh, it also it almost feels sort of um, hallucinogenic at times. One of the most famous shots in the film being they're being covered in, in ants. And, uh, you know, the actors are really just covered in tons and tons of ants. And they, uh, one of the characters opens up his eyes. Uh, or, no, I'm sorry, it's a close-up shot of his face. And it's all they're all over his eyes. And it cuts, and he's wiping them all off, and they're completely gone, man. It's like, you know, back then when they were just putting, like, hey, you know what, you know, nowadays, actors are like, oh, if you might have an animal on me, make it CGI or anything like that. Don't, uh, I don't want a real animal on me. And probably for safer reasons, you know, it's sort of like, uh, probably can't put, like, real, real uh, you know, 
uh, animals on people and stuff like that. But back then, they were just throwing ants on people and stuff. I mean, geez, look at all those animal attack movies, man. They were just like, I just throw a bunch of spiders out there. It's fine. It doesn't matter, man. Just blow up rats. It's just wild as hell, man, what they were doing back then. But in mean, different, different time and place, can't compare the uh, sediments of 1964 to, uh, to current day. But, um... Uh, but the great camera work as well. I mean, the opening of this as well is just one long, great tracking shot. And it's beautiful. Just like uh, very smooth going through the woods following these two. Uh, it's, it's greatly shot. And um, for a movie that's only 67 minutes, I mean, it really does kind of... Uh, it, it doesn't waste really any time. And when I say it doesn't waste any time, I'm not saying there's a clear kind of narrative there where it's like I have to hit all these story beats and I'm not going to spend any extemporaneous uh, time on it contemporaneous, I'm sorry, uh, it's more so the fact that it doesn't feel like your time is being wasted. It feels like you're actually getting something out of the film. You're actually uh, sitting there on this journey with these people wondering, damn, where, what the hell is going to end up with this? Because you talk about a saga of a film, and a lot of films you talk about characters going on this long, long journey and, and long reflecting in the runtime as well. You look at a film like, uh, I've heard comparisons to uh, Come and See... And I don't think that's really, I don't think that's really uh, adept for this. I mean, same thing when I was talking about the film uh, Dead Man's Letters. Uh, I, I don't think that's a very, uh, I don't think there's, there's a very strong comparisons above the the kind of shallow uh, uh, aspects of it uh, in terms of just very surface level observations. But the come and see is actually that's about two and a half hours. I mean, even Dead Man's Letters, which you know it's an hour and a half and all that. But this film, because it's coming in at a, at a sixty-seven minutes uh, runtime, it feels very. Uh, it, it feels like a journey, but it also feels very um, complete. It feels like when you get to the end of the end of the film on this, uh, you know, it could easily go on for more, but. By, not, by choosing not to it, it adds its own kind of bleak quality to it. It's sort of like it's not a... It, it's a bleak film, but it's not a dour film. It's just about these characters. And there's also not a lot of dialogue in this film, too. So a lot of the times the characters are reacting just with their body movements and all that. Like, it's a great um, sequence in the middle where they're being... Uh, it's a very kind of slower sequence where they're being shot at going up a hill and it feels very arduous where it feels like they're kind of struggling to get up this hill and they're not you know in a real situation like that you're not worried about talking about hey this or that you know you're talking about your only main focus on that is getting the hell out of that situation you're not talking to somebody else it's, it's funny i was watching a film recently and uh you know these characters go to this big epic kind of event and they all they just barely get away with their lives and it's like oh my gosh and then at the end they're cracking a joke and i'm like oh, i'm like damn man what the hell's going on here it's like you just got out of this life or that situation. You're cracking jokes. What the hell's going on? Uh, maybe it's on, and uh, granted, that's a big Hollywood kind of action film. So I'm not comparing that to this film, but I'm just saying, you know, the, the contrast of these characters in these dire situations. It's sort of like, damn, man, what the hell's going on here? Um, but it's great, man. You know, it is great. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the the whole third act and the. In the house, there, there's a there's a that's the, probably the longest sequence in the film, the longest soul sequence has uh, interesting editing on that, where the dialogue is not m matching up with the actor's lips intentionally. So you're not watching it, going like, "What the hell?" You know, that doesn't match at all. It adds to the hallucinogenic state, and you're and it, it's this prolonged kind of uh, sequence. You're wondering how, what the hell is going to happen at the end of this, and it's a film that you watch when it's over. You actually feel fulfilled. You actually feel like, damn, man, that was a piece of art. I just watched a great film, and this is a great film. Now, I did watch this off of uh, TCM. 
Uh, and I wasn't aware that this does have a Criterion as well, a Criterion Blu-ray, so I'll be picking this one up at some point down the line. It's definitely on my radar now, especially for which to watch the uh, special features on this. I'd love to read up on, on, on smarter men and women than I who can give uh, better insight to this film. And uh, Jan Nimick has only he passed away in 2016, and but he was still making films up to 2016, which is wonderful. He did uh, The Wolf from Royal Vineyard Street from 2016, and this film Heartbeat 3D in 2010. First Czech movie made in 3D is a political mystery thriller without suspense in which organ transplantation serves as an allegory of political manipulation. It has no ratings on here, so I wonder the availability of it. So that'll be kept in mind going forward. So Diamond of the Night, 1964. It's a wonderful film. In the conversation, I also recommend Coach to Vienna, um, which I, I still feel like is not, very, is not talked about as much, um, but is also a wonderful, uh, great film. Uh, same similar kind of tone to uh, this film. Same, it, it reminds me a lot of because the, the the visuals in this film remind me a lot of that. So both wonderful films in that regard. So all right, cross that out here and talk about another film I watched recently from Mr. Rowan Polanski, 1988, one of his latter films of this era. 1988, Harrison Ford. And Betty Buckley, as well as Emmanuel Singer, who I think is actually married to Polanski now, or at least has been in quite a number of his films. Uh, I don't know. I think she is married, but don't quote me on that. Right, she's a great actor, too. We got Frantic from 1988. I'm watching all these films, man, about dudes losing their husbands. I mean, uh, dudes losing their wives. I was talking about um, uh, Dying Room Only. And then I was talking about, uh, not quite in the same regard, but sort of in the same, Remember My Name, uh, I talked about a little while ago. Now I'm talking about this film, Frantic, starring Harrison Ford. Now this is an era of Harrison Ford that I love. You know, when I'm talking about these actors, I talk about Harrison Ford or, or Samuel L. Jackson or a lot of these actors who I feel like at a certain point, um, sort of started playing, they didn't, they became less of actors and more of, uh, the personalities into their films, you know, it's sort of like you look at, I look at eras like this of Harrison Ford and, and uh, later on from like Sam Jackson, like in the 90s, before, really before like Pulp Fiction and stuff, or really around that time, even movies like The Red Violin, and I mean, he's just doing just, it, it actually felt like uh, different roles for the actor, and you know, Sam Jackson is still a, a great, wonderful actor, I mean, he's, I mean, of course, he still does great Brilliant roles. I mean, he's he's excellent in The Hateful Eight. He he, uh, him and Walton Goggins have just a, one of Tarantino's just strongest sequences in his entire filmography. It's just so brilliantly done. Um, but he's an actor who I, I do feel like he started playing a lot of himself in a lot of films, and Harrison Ford as well. Because here he's so he's so great in this film, and uh, we have uh, Harrison Ford. He's he's going to Paris with his wife for this business conference, and uh, he's like, oh damn man, we got the wrong suitcase. What the hell's going on here? He uh, goes to the bathroom and a brilliantly shot. What Polanski chooses to put chooses to put in the frame. He's in the shower. She says something to him, and he's like, "He's like, what? I didn't hear you." She walks off frame, and then that's it, man. He goes out, and he's like, "Where the where the hell is she?" There's a great progression of just a mystery of just like I don't want to give I don't want to give too much away because I didn't know anything about the film going into it as I like to. I heard I heard this mentioned on a show a while ago, and I must have forgot the actual synopsis of it. So I was like, "Damn, that's great!" But so I'm gonna kind of stop around there. But uh, he's like waiting around, waiting around. Like maybe she went out, or maybe she did this or that. And he's in—I mean, he's in Paris. He knows very little French. He knows like I can kind of get by a little bit. But he's like trying to communicate to people, and they don't speak English. And he's like, "What the hell was a uh, 
was a uh, what's going on here. Actually, <laughs> I'm scrolling down. And I'm reading this. It says Harrison Ford thought that Frantic was a misleading title for the film, as the script didn't have a frantic pace. He suggested that moderately disturbed would be a more appropriate title. Roman Polanski wasn't amused. Now that is funny. And uh, time is not on my side, man. I gotta I gotta end this episode. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna finish talking about this next week, man. Hey, you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. It's a beautiful day out there. Go live your life. Go follow your dreams. This is the time to make your dreams come true. Work on your writings. Work on your films, your art, your painting, your music, whatever it is, man. This is your life to live. God bless you. All that good stuff. And uh, I'll be back next week. And, oh, i got to get that Blu-ray episode out, too, so I'll be back sooner than you think. So, hey, you guys take care, all right? Uh, and I'll be back soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks.